0: Welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad
1: Douglas. This is episode four, Welcome to Your Brain. Just We ask that you wipe your shoes off on the mat before you walk into your brain. In this installment, we're going to talk about the role of the brain in childhood mental health. So, Nikki, what does the brain have to do with anxiety?
0: Only everything.
1: Certainly clears that up. Thank you.
0: Okay, okay. Let me explain. First, I'm not an expert on the brain. Nor am I. <laughs> not, not our area of expertise. But... Uh, We have learned just enough about how the brain works and how those emotions up there function so that we can talk to you a little bit about it. If you have questions about other things like language development, movement, vision, taste, things like that, I'm not your girl. Uh, But I do want to share some stuff about the brain and your emotional self. Are you ready for this, Chad? You're scaring me a little bit, but yeah, I think I'm ready. Okay, here goes. So there are three main areas of your brain that we're going to talk about today. There's probably a lot more than three, but we're going to focus on three. And the first is the prefrontal cortex. The second is the limbic system. And the third is your brainstem. And these areas are all connected to different brain states or states of mind. We'll talk about the prefrontal cortex first. The prefrontal cortex is the area right behind your forehead. So when I'm talking with kids about this, I'll tell them to put their hand on their forehead and then picture a series of filing cabinets lined up right behind their hand. We call this the green zone, and we'll talk a little bit more about why in a few minutes. But what you need to know about the prefrontal cortex is that it starts to develop around age four, And it continues to grow and change until age 25. That's why education typically takes place between the ages of 4 and 25. Not always, of course. We can still learn after age 25. That's the period of time where that part of our brain is just a little bit more spongy and elastic and more open to new knowledge.
1: Scientific proof you cannot teach an old dog new tricks.
0: Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Something like that. Um, But this part of your brain is associated with what is called the executive state. And it has three main jobs. So those filing cabinets I mentioned hold information. They hold everything you know, the things you know about yourself, the things you know about the world, all of that kind of gets filed away in those filing cabinets. This part of your brain also solves problems. So, you know, you're hungry. This is the part of your brain that would say, hey, why don't you get a snack? And if you are running low on gas in your car and you're trying to, you know, figure out, hmm, do I... What do I do? I, well, I need to put gas in my car, right? Where's the nearest gas station? Oh, it's on the corner of. That's the part of your brain that kind of sorts all that out. This is also the part of your brain that makes decisions. So with, with kids, when I'm talking with them about this, I'll always say, okay, so what are those three jobs? And we just review so we can kind of keep that um, front and center. It holds information, solves problems, and makes decisions.
1: Seems pretty important.
0: Yeah, it's a very important part of your brain. This is the state of mind that learning takes place in. This is the state of mind or the part of your brain that you want to have, you know, working and functioning if you're sitting in the classroom, um, if you're studying for a test, if you are listening to a book or a podcast, for example, you want this part of your brain to be activated. Then we're going to move on to the limbic system. The limbic system is located under the prefrontal cortex, but that's kind of an unclear direction since since we don't actually walk around in our brains. But I always tell kids to put their fingers on their temples, just in front of their ears, and that space in between is approximately where the limbic system is located. Okay. And the limbic system we have called the blue zone, and again, more about the colors in a minute. Ooh,
1: I've, I I know the answer. This is this is emotions, right?
0: Yes, this is just uh, this is the headquarters for all your emotional functioning. And if we uh, talk about that movie we plugged last time, um, mm-hmm. Inside Out, the characters all live in headquarters and headquarters is the limbic system. Nice. So this is the part of your brain that generates and sort of manages all of your emotions. The limbic system starts to develop in infancy, uh, but it the development really takes off during adolescence and it continues to grow and change throughout the lifespan. So Chad, do you remember in episode three when we talked about emotions? Yes. We were talking about infants having pretty limited emotions, but people in their 90s having like much larger range of emotions. um, And they've had a lot of experiences that younger people can't imagine. Mm -hmm. That's because that the limbic system does continue to grow through the lifespan.
1: Okay. So you said you're not the gal for brain stuff, but what about biology? I'm just sitting here thinking when you said through adolescence and so much emotions, like what does this thing do with puberty?
0: Oh, it explodes. It just explodes. It's, It's like... Sometime around, I would say 10-ish for a lot of kids, 10, 11, 12, you really start to see just a bunch of new emotional experiences popping up. Um, I, I remember when I recognized it in one of my kiddos, it was it, all of a sudden she would just scream or she would she would just sort of explode. And what is that? what What has possessed you? Um, and it, it really, it was just the start of adolescence. it was it was a whole new set of emotions that sort of got installed. and um kids at that age, they don't know how to deal with all that because it's brand new and they don't know where to go with it. And so um it shows up as behavior, a lot like we've talked about before that for for kids, the best way to communicate is is through their behavior. and and a lot of that is because they haven't figured out how to work all the the emotional stuff that's going on in their brain.
1: So the good thing for parents there is we went through that. At that mm-hmm. age, but after a certain age, that's been a long time ago. Um, <laughs> because I have a kiddo ready at that stage, and um, so buckle up, I guess, huh?
0: Yes, mm-hmm. put your seatbelt on, Chad, no, because it's hands it's and on. feet inside
1: the cart at all times.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly <sighs> right. Yeah, the the emotional part of our brain does a lot, and and we won't. There's a lot of technical stuff there that we won't get into, but there's a little part called the amygdala that's located somewhere in that same area, and it's it. It, basically its job is to keep track of everything unpleasant that happens in your life. So if you eat some food and that food makes you feel sick, or if somebody makes fun of you because you wear a certain outfit or, um, you know, just a, just any sort of unpleasant or uncomfortable life experience, the amygdala is sort of filing that away. And then what it will do if it if it senses something similar to one of those really yucky experiences, it will trigger you. It will say, hey, right. hey, pay attention. This could be alarming. This could be danger. And that takes us to the next part of your brain. So this is the brainstem. This is the, what we would call the red zone. And the brain stem is at the, the back of your head and the top of your neck. And so when I'm talking with kiddos and their families, I'll say, put your hand kind of at the, the base of your head. And this is the, the, I would argue, the most important part of your brain. And it starts to develop during pregnancy. So it's the oldest and the, like the first, first part that really kicks in there. Okay. Um, and it's associated with a survival state. So it's the part that's responsible for keeping you alive. Here's the thing about this part, and this is where we kinda get back to mental health stuff. It's so good at its job of keeping you alive that it can alert you to danger before you can even see, smell, or hear it. This oh. is good but also bad, and we'll get to that in a minute.
1: So that's kinda like your sixth sense then?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: If you're if you're in tune to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, if you're paying attention, there's it's aware of things that that you aren't. When someone is in their brainstem or survival state, this is important. That they basically don't have any access to their limbic system or the or the prefrontal cortex because the only important thing is staying alive. So all of that other stuff sort of goes offline. Right. Mm. So it's it's like let's say you're trying to print and your printer says offline and you're like no you're not offline you're right there and you're plugged in and everything is why aren't you printing it's kind of what happens to those other parts of your brain they just sort of take a a pause or take a break because your brainstem's got this right okay
1: yeah 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 makes sense
0: so let's let's link this all back to mental health chad i want you to imagine that we are walking through the woods okay we're looking for like mushrooms or little fairies or giant snakes or whatever i don't care whatever you want to look for is fine
1: Okay, I'm gonna really have to imagine myself walking through the woods here, Nikki. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something I would normally do. Okay, so um, can I take my iPad?
0: I mean, you can. It's not going to be super helpful.
1: Are we hiking? Like, do I need boots hiking or tennis shoes? Yes,
0: yes, we're gonna we're gonna go on a hike, and you need boots, and they probably need to be kind of expensive. Do
1: I need a chair?
0: Uh, no, no, okay. we're gonna be hiking. Teddy bear? Yes, you can you can take it if you must. My my Linus blanket okay now your your packing list is getting a little excessive i have a backpack (laughs) all right get a good one uh so we're walking through the woods and we're looking. oh yeah right right
1: right right. right, right you're
0: you're back okay we're looking for giant snake fairies with fungus and whatever all of a sudden we both stop okay Mm -hmm. we feel the hair on the back of our necks rise Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we look right we look left we hear some leaves rustling and then the crack of a stick
1: okay we're in the woods
0: yeah, yeah, and, but okay. it's just us, right? Okay. So, so we're we feel this like, ooh, and our heart starts to beat faster. Our breath becomes more shallow. We keep scanning and listening, and then we see it—a grizzly what? bear. A grizzly
1: bear. We, to, we gotta go. Get get out. Right. Run. Don't run from a bear.
0: Why? Why do we need to get away?
1: Because it's a bear, Nikki. Bears are dangerous, and I don't think my little teddy bear is gonna keep us safe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're right. Um, you're right. We have to get gone immediately and scene.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Well, that, that one high school drama class I took, paying off, paying off. <laughs>
0: it really did. I think, I don't know. There might be an Oscar in this for us. I don't uh, know. We'll see. Okay.
1: <laughs> an Oscar Meyer wiener. We can roast in the woods.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Now we really are prepared. Uh, so so what did you notice in that, that silly little drama we just enacted? Um, what, what did our brain do? That was really cool.
1: So it started getting our body ready to either fight or flight. I mean, we talked about breathing heavy, the heart was racing, your muscles are probably tensing up. And so then I think it's either, I don't know, is is it your choice or is it just instinct of I'm going to stay and battle the bear? Which side note of my years in broadcasting, you should do. Don't run from the bear because they will they're fast. Don't climb a tree. Or do you run from the situation? I mean, we used a bear as an example, but in any Situation: Fight or flight. Do you have control over that, or is it just uh, It's going to happen.
0: So it, I I think it's all of those possible outcomes. I I think that you know the brainstem once it senses the potential for danger, it kicks in and it says, "Oh hey, you've got some options right now. What what do you think you should do?" And and it doesn't you know take time to go, "Hmm, how many." How, how would this work out? How might this work out? It's very quick. It very quickly makes a decision that you need to make. And hopefully it's the right decision.
1: Sure. Cause you, you, you have options but you don't have a lot of time.
0: No, no, you don't, you don't get to explore all the possible outcomes of running, all the possible outcomes of standing and freezing, all the possible outcomes of trying to you know fight the bear, but your, your brain's going to pretty instinctively know, Hey, I've got to do something, but here's the thing. So that's what that part of our bodies, what part of our brain, it, that part of our brain is designed for is, right. is to help us in those sort of primitive, dangerous, you know, like life-threatening situations. But how many times have you been in the woods and you've faced no, no. A, Yeah, oh. same.
1: Um, but yeah, but when you're in a life uh, life or death situation, I I mean, I don't think I've ever been in a life or death situation.
0: Right. We're wired for it. It's there every day, but, but it, we don't really need it. We don't live out in the wild. We're not cavemen. We don't have to fight saber-toothed tigers. So we're equipped for much more dangerous situations that we face. So here's the thing. This brain of ours is so good at keeping us safe and it it can recognize danger, you know, without any help from us. But it's not great at telling the difference between life-threatening situations and minor inconveniences. Like the smoke detector at my house every time I cook. The (laughs) brainstem can have false alarms. (laughs) There's no smoke, no fire. It's just a little hot, that's all. Um, but things like not being able to find your keys when you're running late in the morning, getting the blue cup when you want the purple one, mm. or for a teenager, getting a bad grade on an important assignment. The, all of these things can be interpreted by the brainstem as danger. And then that sets off that physical response, very much like the one we had when we were gallivanting through the woods. Some of us clutching a teddy bear. Yeah, don't judge. <laughs> you, you you felt safe with your teddy bear. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Until we found the bear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for children with anxiety or other mental health concerns this translates to full on fight or flight behaviors for things that are definitely not life threatening mm. but those sensitive little brain stems just don't know that yet
1: and there's no like iOS updates we can do to go hey there's a difference between i'm going to get eaten by a bear or i can't find my keys and i'm running late for work or school
0: no our operating systems cannot be replaced that brain stem mm. it is there it is It is what it is. Now we can do some training and some therapy and some different intervention to kind of slow down those false alarms, so to speak, but you can't, you can't just replace it. Can't start over.
1: Can't start over. Okay. So the, the problem then with these false alarms, if I'm getting it right, is for kids, especially if they're anxious, when they get in that survival state, they don't know what to do because to them, I'm running late for school or I got the purple cup for breakfast instead of the blue cup is the exact same thing as there's a bear getting ready to eat me. So then from my perspective as a parent, I'm going, you can deal with the purple cup instead of the blue cup. We got to go because school starts at a certain time. And it's this time we got to get out of here. So parents kind of get stuck and then it's a whole red zone, red zone, which is bad.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. And so you get into that survival state, you get stuck. And your frontal lobe, the part of your brain that says, hey, actually... Um, I know what to do in this situation. This is not the end of the world. We can solve this. Remember when I said that the prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain responsible for solving problems and making decisions and it holds all your knowledge.
1: Right. But you said it's offline when that brainstem yeah, yeah. is activated.
0: That's exactly right. So we get stuck in the red zone. We don't know how to get out of it. And then, so I don't know about you, but if my kids are kind of in that state, I, it only takes me about 26 seconds to join them, right? Yeah. So like you were just saying, like- I can two- I
1: can join that state in 25 seconds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're faster than me. Uh, so, but now you've got two humans who are in survival mode, and there's no bears to be seen. And right. so it, it can become just very, very tricky. And I would say, rather, we're talking about typical childhood behavior or mental health issues in children. It, it, this is kind of at the heart of it for, for all um, getting stuck in a, in a brain state that you don't know how to get out of um, can look like a lot of things. It can look like anxiety or a panic attack. It can look like a tantrum. It can look like, um, you know, you're, you're just losing your marbles. Um, and it's really hard when you don't have the other parts of your brain there to, to check yourself and go, okay, what should we do now?
1: So the timing of this episode, Nikki is in accidentally right on point because we had this happen in my house um, the other day. My son just, he, he did not want to go to school. Why didn't he want to school? Couldn't tell me, didn't have a test. No one was being mean to him, just did not want to leave the house. So I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I was in the green zone for a good portion of this uh, conversation. But then you start getting, I guess, human nature. And it started to be like, if you don't get in the car now, I'm going to have to take away something. And then you start getting in the punishment mentality. So what what should I have done? What can I do in the future to? I don't get my way. Not really get my way, just get the get the child to do what they need to do. Does that to make get,
0: sense? Yeah, to get everything back on track. So yeah. This is you just Chad, you just tapped into like my most favorite conversation ever with families and children. So first and foremost, when you, you ha learning to recognize, remember last week we talked about how, um, if you can recognize your own state of mind, it gives you the power to better, you know, or your own emotional state, what's going on for you emotionally, you can better recognize what's going on for someone else. Right? Absolutely. So this is where that comes in. So if you recognize, Oh my gosh. Yes. So he's kind of in fight or flight and he's upset. And I feel like I'm maybe potentially at risk of escalating with him. Step number one is always get yourself in check. Remember that if he is in the red zone, there is no threat, Consequences, life lessons, yelling, screaming, demands—any of that—that's going to make any difference. This—if he's in that state, he's feeling like he's being chased by a bear.
1: He can't even rationalize. You mentioned life lessons because I was—you know—I threw that out. I'm like, dude, all I'm trying to do is teach you that we've got to go. Once you get older and get a job, you're gonna have to be there on time. You can't talk back to your boss. So he's—I mean, it's nothing. Ones and zeros are not computing
0: any of that, none of that matters to him in that state. At that point, all he needs to do is to get back to a state of emotional safety. So your role in that is, is tricky. Like I said, it's starting with getting yourself in that green zone and staying there and being able to regulate your own stuff, but then just doing whatever you can to assure him that he is safe physically and emotionally. And so it might be saying something, you know, just being quietly there with him. I'm here, I'm here. You're safe. You're safe. Okay. I will keep you safe. Those kinds of things. But you don't want to say a lot of words because he's those words are going to be something he reacts to. You don't Mm -hmm. want to, um, you know, really do a whole lot of anything. If 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 he's acting out and you're seeing aggression or things like that, you would probably want to remove an audience and, you know, get get other people out of the way and make sure there's nothing dangerous, um, you know, around him. Uh, But just just be quietly present until is closer to that state of mind. Now, here's the thing about the, these three zones that we talked about in the brain, you don't jump from the red zone to the green zone, right? There's, there was a state in the middle. Remember the the blue zone, the limbic system, you kind of have to go back through the whole process to get back to like a calm, rational state of mind. And so if a child is in the red zone, step number one is just to assure their safety and help them to get back to feeling safe. You can tell when they're starting to get there because they will be a little bit calmer. They're yeah. they're more likely to maybe start appearing tearful, crying. They might come to you for comfort. They're no longer trying to run away or push or shove. They're no longer hiding behind things. Um, but that's how you tell that they've kind of shifted into more of an emotional state. Now, here's the thing about the emotional state. You're not really super calm and rational there either. You might still see crying and, and a little bit of acting out, but you're less There's there's less of an experience of of potential danger in that place, and so that's good. And as a parent, when you know that your child's in the blue zone, you can start to say things like, "You were mad, you were scared, you were upset, whatever the the emotion might have been. That was hard for you. It made you want to hit or run or hide. You know, use whatever words um, that describe what was going on. But you're safe now. Uh, At that point, some kids will want to talk about it, but some won't. And I would say probably most won't, especially Mm -hmm. at younger ages. Either way, your role is to be present use empathy, but it is still not time to issue consequences, solve problems, try to teach your taught a lesson. All of that has to wait. Okay. Can you guess when you can start to do that, Chad? First, can whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying you didn't do exactly what I just said?
1: No, not at all. So what was the question?
0: So can you guess what has to happen before you can issue consequences, solve problems, all that kind of stuff?
1: They've got to get in the green zone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they really, really do. And so you've got a, a, a sure safety that that can help pull them out of the red. Then you've got to sort of speak to the emotions, speak to what was going on underneath it. And that's in the blue zone. And when their tears subside, they start to act more like themselves. That's a sign that they've moved through the limbic system and into the prefrontal cortex. So the, the frontal lobes have, have begun to take over. So You'll know when a child is in the green zone or the executive state, when they're able to focus, learn, solve problems, make decisions. These things don't simply happen <laughs> when someone is in an emotional state or a survival mode.
1: Which makes complete sense. And I don't know if you can answer this because every human is, is wired differently, but on average, how quickly can that trip from the, uh, from the red zone get to the green zone? Can it be done in minutes, seconds?
0: So here's my take. And I, I don't in the moment have any science to back it up, but I would say that the younger you are, the longer it takes. And as you get older and your system starts to regulate more and you learn more life skills and you have more opportunities to work through difficult emotions, that time span should shrink. So, you know, and I can say that with my own kiddos that they could, they would maybe take an hour, two hours, sometimes three hours to truly go from being in an acting out, you know, fight or flight response to a calm, you know, green functional learning state of mind. Um, But when they, Uh, are now that they're a little bit older, I, I can see that turn around in 15, 20 minutes. So it just, it really depends on the person, the experiences they've had, who's working with them, um, how quickly the parent that's in charge can, can kind of regulate their own stuff. Um, and so there's not an easy answer to that one. I I think it has to do with development.
1: And you still have the clock ticking. I don't set the time of when school starts or when my boss wants me at work. (laughs) but that's got to be followed.
0: I get this question a lot. I can't make things pause until they're calm. I don't have time to wait for them to get, you know, back to that state of mind. If it takes a couple of hours, I don't have that kind of time. I get that. I do. And it's true.
1: What can a parent do then to keep their cool when their child gets escalated?
0: So, and, and this is, this is a trick I've had to use in my own brain. So I can either spend this time being upset too, and, and escalating along with my child and having, you know, more of an unpleasant outcome and still be late to work. Or I can have it be, you know, potentially like a, an emotionally um, educational experience where we oh. land in the place that we want to and, and be late to work. And so it's kind of, it's like what people say, you can know, choose your heart. Do you want to be late to work and be all upset and have no closure to the experience for you or your child? Or do you want to, you know, take a minute? be calm because you're not going to rush it. I mean, I I think that's the bottom line. You're not going to rush them through the process. So being upset about it or being hyper-focused on, oh my gosh, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. does nothing but escalate you further. Think about your own experiences. If you're super emotional, do you make the best decisions? Are you able to take a new information and make sense of it? Do you like people telling you what to do when you feel like that?
1: I have no emotions. So no, no, not at all. Because who likes to be told what to do? It makes, it makes a lot of sense when you talk about it, but when you're in that, that moment, that fight or flight moment, it's very hard, very hard to stay calm when your child is upset. So what can parents do to keep their cool when their child gets escalated?
0: Uh, is hide in the closet with a bag of potato chips until it's over <laughs> an option? Uh, <laughs> yes. If, if so, I choose that. Um, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. The, the best way to stay calm when your child's escalated is simply, as I've said a thousand times, to be aware of your own state of mind. If you are escalated, you're going to have to step away. There's there's no way to re-regulate your child if you are in the red or even if you're deeply in the blue zone. You are going to have to get it together before anything is going to help to calm your child. So I do have some tricks I've used and taught other parents over the years. All of these tricks are based on the, the very same brain stuff that we've been talking about today. So um, they're science-based. That means you should try them. When I'm in a tense or upsetting situation, I will sort of intentionally think about fact-based things to help myself stay in an executive state. So for example, um, I might say the alphabet backwards in my head.
1: Where'd you you learn that? (laughs) Well,
0: (laughs) I don't know, Chad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We digress. We move on.
0: Um, I might say the alphabet backwards or do some basic math problems in my head. I'm not mm. great at math. But if I, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm doing my times tables and like, you know, eight times three is 24, eight times four, you know, at some point, I'm probably gonna you know, not be able to do it anymore. But I'll go through the state capitals, anything that really just makes me stay in that state. That paired with slow breathing has helped me to stay in the right state of mind to help escalated kids several times. And and there's really no end to the list of situations where you could use a skill like this. Um, If you're arguing with your spouse, if you're having a disagreement with someone at work, if you're, you know, dealing with something, you know, threatening or scary out in in the world, just anything that kind of helps you to stay calm. I, when I stumbled upon this and, and started teaching it, I thought, gosh, this is brilliant. Someone should write a book about this or share it with people. And it turns out that, you know, police officers yeah. and FBI agents have been doing this for a long time. So <laughs> it's not something that I magically came up with, but um, it really does work. Okay. And I think it's important to share that these tricks don't always work. Sometimes okay. you have to walk away. You have to take a break. You have to tag in another adult because all the math problems in the world aren't going to cut it. Or maybe you do like a really complicated math problem and you get more upset because you don't know how to do that. <laughs> that that can happen too. But that's Okay. We have the same brain areas and states of mind as our kids, and we might be better at regulating some of the time or most of the time, but we are also allowed to have a hard time too.
1: Okay. So I'm going to throw in my background of a communication major, and I think more of our bodies communicate than our mouths do in our words. So I'm picturing if I'm trying to do a math problem in my head, my facial expression is going to show that I'm confused. So then my son might look at me and be like, you're not paying attention to my needs. Okay. Any concern there, or am I just overthinking?
0: I mean, for me, I would kind of compare that to if you weren't doing the math problem and you were escalating along with him. That body language would be far more threatening to him in the state Fair of mind point. that he's in. Yeah, so okay. so it's better to look confused because honestly, I mean, if if he's having a meltdown over something that you don't understand, confusion is pretty. Yeah. You know, pretty okay. fitting for that. And and I would I would rather he see you look confused than look angry or potentially aggressive or or threatened yourself because then sure. that, that just escalates things. I
1: feel like I'm gonna have to give you my insurance card by the time we're done with this episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I only take cash. It's it's fine. Oh, okay. no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding.
1: In the past I've noticed like it might not ruin my whole day, but it definitely starts my day off on a in a bad way. And I'm thinking that too. It was like, I've ruined his day. I've ruined my day. And then the teacher will let me know later, like, no, he was fine. So do the kids get over that faster than the adults? Is that the whole guilt thing that just comes back? Where does where does guilt live in that filing cabinet?
0: Oh, and there's a really, really big big full drawer for guilt for parents. There's, there's a lot there. That's, that's an episode for another day, but, but no, I mean, what you just described is a pretty common phenomenon where, you know, the kid bounces back and they go on with their day and, and you're still, you're at work or wherever going, Oh, that was ugly. I, that was not fun. I hope he's doing okay. I hope, he, you know, I hope he's not sad or upset about how his day started. Um, but, but the reality is that, you know, we're holding on to that because for us it was a little bit traumatic. Um, because we, we felt like that pressure of, I need to know what to do and I need to help my child and I don't want them to have this hard time. Um, but, but they do, once they get back into that green mode, they're in a better state of mind and they're okay. more able to kind of process. And we are older. And so we do a lot more reflection. We do a lot more, Hmm, what can I do better? How can I make, you know, kids aren't thinking like that. He's right. he's not going to school going, gosh, this morning was really rough. Uh, dad and I had a hard time. Uh, what am I going to do different next time? That's just, that's not what you know kids that age do, but we, we do, and we right. want it to be better. And so right. that sort of rehashing it over and over stresses us out, but it can be helpful too. I, I mean, I, I don't think it hurts to think, oh, what should I do different next time this comes up? But like you, your whole day doesn't need to be shot because of it. I'd like to make something a little more clear here. Um, The brain state information we've been talking about and the ideas for responding to them can be used for all children, all people actually. This information applies regardless of if a child has a mental health disorder or not. The reason we shared all of this today, though, is that when you have a basic understanding of how the brain works and the different brain states connected to emotions and behavior, you have a solid foundation for understanding childhood mental illness. Most childhood mental health issues can be looked at through the lens of these brain states. For example, a child with an anxiety disorder probably has a sensitive brain stem and has some difficulty regulating when they're in an emotional or survival state. He or she might have had a lot of experiences that sort of taught their brain to be on high alert. Um, and on the other hand, a child with depression probably spends a lot of time in their limbic system, or children with ADHD have trouble with the executive state. This is not to say that mental health issues are always biological though. Um, As we've hinted at in previous episodes, Mm -hmm. our experiences and environment contribute to this as well. And and we're gonna talk about more how that can play out when we talk about more specific diagnoses in the future.
1: On our next episode, we're gonna take you to school with Anxiety 101. We're gonna dig deeper into anxiety, why it is so hard to pin down what it looks like and how you can spot it in your child or a child in your life and what causes some people to experience more anxiety than others. Also, make sure you find us on Facebook. There you'll find some more useful information in between episodes.
0: If you know someone who can benefit from this podcast, please tell them. We want to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.